In a world where fans have grown tired of the same old cookie-cutter Comic-Con formats, only one con defies the odds. Only one Comic-Con stands what fans really want. Only one Comic-Con dares calls itself terrific. That's right. This August 17th through the 19th at the all-new giant-sized Mohegan Sun Expo Center in Uncasville, Connecticut, comes Terrific Con. Connecticut's Terrific Comic Con is back with New England's largest gathering of comic book artists and writers. Plus, Terrific Con delivers actors from your favorite TV shows and movies. And there's an all-new expanded gaming section as we give you tabletop gaming, video games, and so much more. Plus, don't forget, all kids 10 and under get in free at Terrific Con and can be part of the all-new All Yeah Kids Comic Con. Join us for three full days of Comic-Con action only in Connecticut at TerrificCon. For more information, go to our website, www.terrificcon.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntras here. If you don't know, there's another episode that dropped today featuring comedy legend Phil Proctor talking about his autobiography, Where's My Fortune Cookie, and his new podcast, The Proctor Podcast, a great storytelling podcast of Phil's uh, many encounters throughout his show business career. Good stuff. But today, in this episode, we're going to be talking about where we live, the anthology that was created to benefit the families and survivors of the Las Vegas shootings of last year, an incredible project that was put together by J.H. Williams, his wife, Wendy Wright Williams, Michael Perlman, and a lot of great creators. It's a lot of pages and a lot of really interesting combinations of reportage, first-person accounts, uh, very interesting, inspired comic book stories by a lot of comic book luminaries. Jeff Lemire, Cliff Chang, Joe Illich, just to name a few. I had two great conversations about the anthology, one with J.H. Jim Williams and his wife, Wendy Wright Williams, who were kind of the linchpins really corralling everybody and we talk about how uh, they got interested in the project why they wanted to do it this way and uh, it's it's a wonderful conversation we start things off though with Will Dennis who was one of the editors of Where We Live and uh, he talks about his involvement with the project and we also as always with Will uh, want to step back and talk about his Vertigo career some of the great collaborations that he did with people like Lieber Mayho and a really nice hunk about Joe Kubert the legend Two really great conversations about where we live to present to you on today's Word Balloon. No traditional sponsorship for today's episode because I want you to uh, focus on where we live. Pick it up from your local comic book store. Pick it up from Amazon. Uh, do what you can to support this book. It's a great cause, and I'm happy to have these conversations in support of uh, where we live. A little side note, you heard the commercial for Terrificon at the beginning of the podcast. I will be at Terrificon at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut this August. Really looking forward to it. They've got an impressive guest list of modern and old-time creators that I can't wait to meet in some cases and book for future Word Balloon conversations. You may hear some of these people as we lead up to Terrificon in August. And uh, very excited about some of the people that will be there and also here on the podcast and also hopefully uh, some of the um, panels that I'll be moderating as well at Terrificon. But I can't wait to share that content with you. But now let's turn things over to the Where We Live book. And we start things off chronologically. I spoke to Will Dennis first, so I wanted to present that conversation first. I'm glad to have Will back. It's uh, always fun to talk to him. And uh, he shares his insight on not only the Where We Live project, but also uh, a bit about uh, how things are going for him as a freelance editor 
Um, you know, he he doesn't work directly for DC anymore. He comes on on special projects, but he's kind of doing his own thing, much like many uh, creators are with creator-owned books. Well, he's a creator-owned editor. And uh, we talk about that journey as well as uh, some other great memories of his time at Vertigo. Here's our conversation with Will Dennis on today's Word Balloon. Will Dennis, man, I'm I'm really excited to have you back, man. Uh, I'm hoping that we have like semi-yearly conversations now moving forward after those years of DC and Vertigo. I can't, man. Can't talk. They won't let me talk. Right. I think you were my first post-DC interview. That was nice, man. And I always yeah, appreciate you coming back, so welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. And working on a really cool project, Where We Live, uh, which addresses the uh, Las Vegas shootings that happened last year. Um, how'd you get involved with this? Um, Eric Eric Stevenson at Image just texted me kind of out of the blue last, eh, maybe like November, and said, hey, do you want to help out on this book? And I, I'm embarrassed to say, like, I didn't really know what was happening. Like, I don't, I, I should probably pay more attention to, you know, comics news or whatever. I mean, I knew obviously about the event that happened, but I didn't realize there was this benefit book happening. And so he, you know, he just texted me sort of nonchalantly like, hey, do you want to help out on this book? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, well, how can I say no? Sure. But, you know, come to find out, you know, 350 pages later or something, you're like, wow, yeah. <laughs> what did I get myself into? But, um, yeah, no, so that, that that's all it was. You know, I mean, Eric's been great to me since I left, you know, left D.C. I mean, a lot of the work I've done is through Image and you know, a lot of it's stuff. People I know, you know, guys I've worked with before, but some of uh-huh. it's definitely been referrals from him. People are looking for somebody, you know, he, he'll tell me, oh, I passed your name along to so-and-so, which is great, you know, particularly when you're out in the freelance world. So, yeah, yeah it was the least I could do. And, you know, he said J.H. Williams was involved and um, and I, I only knew J.H. sort of peripherally from, you know, he was working on the Sandman project with Neil Gaiman when I was still at Vertigo. And, um, I think I maybe met him in the office or met him at a show, you know, but I didn't have any connection with him other than admiring his art, which is, you know, amazing. Um, so yeah, it was just, you know, it was one of those kind of things like, you know, of course I'm, I'm happy to help. Is JH the linchpin creator as far as, you know, I know Andreco, like for example, was, you know, kind of spearheading the, right. the thing with IDW and the Orlando shootings and stuff. And isn't yeah, it sad the, that we have to kind of catalog it like, oh, yeah, who was involved with that shooting? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, I think even he, J, JH had asked me, oh, I call him Jim. But yeah, they, Jim. He sure. Had asked me, he had asked me to write the afterword. And that was essentially the thesis. My afterword was, you know, I really wish that, you know, we didn't have to do these yeah. damn things. But yeah. um yeah, he, it was him Him and uh, his wife, Wendy. Uh, they both live in Las Vegas, um, although not originally from there, but they lived there, you know, I think for a good while. But, um, yeah, and they were the ones who had just come up with this idea. Um, and, you know, I think they figured out pretty quickly that they had a lot of people on board, like, immediately. Um, but it was also, like, you know, there's just so many moving parts, right? And, yeah. And, and they don't have real experience you know, and that sort of stuff. So they definitely needed some help. And, um, so yeah, I came onto it, you know, maybe a month or so after they had maybe, well, yeah, not quite a month probably, but you know, close to it. And, um, so they had a lot of people lined up, but they didn't really have necessarily, you know, they had some ideas and they know they wanted to focus on locals, like as much local talent and local, you know, kind of voices as they could. Um, yeah, yeah. Which was really cool. But, and which is, you know, a really interesting aspect of the project for sure. But, um, yeah, so then they got me on to sort of, you know, help more with that side of stuff. You know, he, so I would say he was kind of 
or together they were sort of like the curating editors where I was more, you know, the more traditional, you know, managing nuts and bolts kind of editor. So you like doing like, you know, keeping the trades running on time, that kind of thing. I mean, yeah. What, what does happen? Because obviously this is more each creator kind of doing their own thing, Uh, you know, little stories and little personal stories, you know what? Yeah. So like, what is your capacity in, in that kind of situation? Yeah. I mean, they have a real, they had a real clear mission statement, you know, mm-hmm. which they had released really early on. It was in some press releases and stuff, but, you know, saying like, we didn't want this just to be, you know, guns or bad kind of stuff. Right. You know, right. So, um, so they wanted a kind of a range of, of topics around guns and gun violence and gun ownership. But, you know, so like mental health and the second amendment and historical incidents and, you know, local interests and, you know, eyewitness accounts. There's, there's a bunch of eyewitness, you know, actual eyewitness accounts. Um, so, you know, a lot of that was kind of in the in the mix. And then so, yeah, it's me coming in and sort of, you know, sort of saying like, OK, what's going to work? And you know, it's tricky because normally like if your job is kind of a gatekeeper, right, where you're mm-hmm. sort of saying yes, or no to things. It's a little harder here because people come forward and they want to volunteer, you know, their time and they're excited or passionate about it. Like I, I couldn't really be in the business of like. You know, I'll, no thanks. You know, thanks for right. No yeah, thanks. this doesn't but, work. You know, yeah, see it. Yeah, which I, you know, I spent a long time doing that in my career, sure. and um, you know, which was part of my job. Uh, you know, more for better or worse, and mm-hmm. you know, so um, so that was a little more. You know, it had to be a little more diplomatic about stuff. So you know, most people who approached us, obviously, I, I don't think there was there were some people maybe that fell out or just couldn't come through. You know, because of the scheduling and things like that. But for the most part, people that either approached us directly or we approached you know so you know once i came on like you know i reached out to some of the handful of the people that i was more you know associated with or knew were available or whatever just to kind of fill out the the roster um but there were you know there was already quite a few you know in the dozens or more you know people already sort of working on stuff so yeah. So I, and I, and again like with this in the same way that you can't really turn down necessarily people who want to participate it's even delicate when they send you the ideas and stuff. Right. I mean, you know, you you don't necessarily, you know, everyone's sort of volunteering it and, you know, and they're passionate or feel very personally involved in it in some ways. So it's like, you know, you maybe have to be even a little more diplomatic in that respect in terms of asking for changes or other things. So, you know, I mean, uh, Jim is actually more forward about that than I was in a lot of ways, I think, which is, I may be good, like creator to creator. I think sometimes that's, you know, they're, that's a better, look sometimes you know but um so yeah so he would give input like a lot of times on storytelling or art things or hey you know you thought about doing this or that but then also on more kind of sensitive topics whereas you know i was looking at you know the overall thing and just the tone of it and you know even nuts and bolts stuff like we wanted to try to keep it like a teen plus kind of rated so you know there was definitely having to go back to some people and you know cutting some f-bombs and things like that because You know, I mean, the sad irony of like American society is like you can, you know, probably show someone's, you know, head getting blown off, but you can't have like somebody saying, you know, the F word. No, you can <laughs> so, swear here, but no, exactly. I know, yeah, I know what you, you mean, know, man. It's just like, yeah. you know, so you find yourself making this argument to people like, hey, you know, I know your stories about, you know, 500 people that got shot, but could you stop, you know, using fuck everywhere because, yeah. you know, that we might not be able to get it into libraries. You know, I mean, it's just. Yeah. Sure. It makes head spin, but this is, you know, I always had that, you know, that was a vertigo problem too. We could show any of that, get away with it. But if you showed someone's 
you know, penis. It was like going, you know, like shut the whole thing down, you know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, and that just, is strange to hear because you'd think Vertigo was the place that you could, you could do all that stuff. But I, I, I guess not. I, yeah, you know, I, mean, it, it, I don't know. I mean, it's not, you know, I'm sure Karen or someone would hear this and say, Oh, that's not true. But you know, I mean, there, there were definitely sex was, definitely more of a hot topic than than violence over the years you know whether that was vertigo specific or dc in general i think that's true though across the board i mean i think most companies probably struggle with that you know but um so yeah so i'm in that capacity and then so jim and i are you know trying to figure each other out because he hasn't really done this thing before Mm -hmm. and i had never done anything on this scale before so i'm you know i kind of get hired as like this hired gun expert but at the same time i have to immediately admit like Dudes, I, I'm way in over my head in a lot of ways, you know, because I just have never wrangled anything that's this size before, you know. Sure. I mean, an anthology is always more difficult because it's, you know, even if you only do a 22-page one and there's four stories, you know, you've got four teams, you've got four writers, four artists, you know, maybe you get lucky and get a letter that does a couple of them or something, but, you know, you're dealing with a dozen people, you know, yeah. and just a size comic. So this is a comic that starts to balloon to like, you know, 200, 250, 300 pages. You know, I don't know, there's over 70, I think there's over 70 at least stories in it, you know, so it's just, yeah, so, you know, you can do the math pretty quickly sure. about how that adds up. And, you know, Image, I mean, is awesome, but they don't have, you know, coming from D.C., right, I was pretty lazy. I, like, I was used to, like, an infrastructure, you know, that's pretty robust right you know i mean there's associate editors and assistant editors and everybody you know for every job there's three people to help you on it kind of you know Um, which makes sense it's a huge company the scale they work at it's not a knock on them but like you know image is kind of they're so like lean that you know i mean there's definitely people there that can manage the stuff but you know there's no there's no assistant editor that you can just call you know and be like hey can you send this email to 200 people and you know make sure they all have their you know i mean that kind of stuff so we lucked out because we had, I rec- we by accident this one poor guy Mike Mike Michael Perlman. Yes, Michael's the one who t- you know said, "Hey, talk to these guys and everything." So yeah, yeah go on. Uh, he's he's fantastic. I, he I'd never met him before. I guess he's around comics because he's an art collector, like a pretty serious collector mm-hmm. of art. So yep. he knows he knows a lot of the people from that end, you know. Um, and it, those collectors get to be, you know, over the years get to know the creators pretty well. You Absolutely. Know? And, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I, I, maybe I'd never crossed paths with him or knew him, but so he had initially sort of said, Hey, you know, I do some outside stuff and I know comics pretty well and I'm good at like database and, you know, sort of things. So he was going to just be the quote unquote, like database guy, you know, who okay. was going to kind of help us, you know, collect emails and phone numbers and all that. But, um, you know, which was awesome. And he helped, we had a Dropbox and all that kind of logistical cool. stuff to sure. run it, you know, but, um, yeah, so but it quickly became apparent that like, you know, he he had just volunteered for like, you know, a job that he never thought he wanted, you know. So, you know, I at some point I threw myself on his mercy and said, you know, I know you don't have experience doing this, but if you want to do more in a more, you know, editorial capacity, like I need I you know, I can't do this by myself. Like I can't, you know, it became apparent pretty quickly like that it was just too difficult to sort of manage it, you know. I mean, sure. so yeah, and he, I mean, he was amazing. He totally, like, stepped up, like, no experience in that world at all and, you know, just sort of figured it out, you know, the, just the kind of backstop stuff, you know, sending out emails, reminding people of deadlines, chasing down stuff, and then he was working all the, the files and all the technical stuff with image and, 
you know, like all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, that book would not exist without, you know, his help. I mean, he was just relentless. It was like weekends and nights and, you know, I would, I mean, because we're on different time time zones, Jim Mm -hmm. and I. I'm East Coast and he's West Coast and you know he's an artist so I think they tend to you know their times are kind of strange like they get up later and sure. stay up later and all that kind of <laughs> sure. stuff so I you know Michael and I East Coast guys would like wrap up at seven o'clock at night and you know most of the emails were sort of handled and then you'd wake up at 6 a.m. and there'd be 50 emails that were like it coming overnight <laughs> or 60 or 70 at times like 100 emails you know we're just like oh my goodness like what are we you know and then he, he, he I don't know he, he was amazingly you know, just sort of positive and resilient. Cause there were definitely times when I was like, you know, after this, like I can't, you know, like I don't want to deal with this. Definitely. But, um, you know, I don't know, but you know, then when you get down to the subject and the whole thing and you start reading these accounts, it's like, you know, I, you know, you had to kind of man up or whatever the expression is because it was just like, you know, my problems are, these are pretty high class problems, you know? So, um, yeah, so he, he was in there, you know, kind of helping us and got a crash course and being an assistant editor, I'm really uh, happy that uh, the project turned out as well as it did. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting in terms of uh, being something different. And, 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 God, like you said, so many different creators and stuff. So who did you who did you bring in specifically? Um, I mean, you know, some of the usual suspects like the, um, like Cliff Chang and cool. um, Lemire and uh, Jock. You know, Jock does like an uh, – it's like a spot illustration for a poem that actually the woman who wrote the poem had been my student years ago at NYU. Like I occasionally teach a class at NYU, like mm-hmm. a comic class. Yeah. And uh, she was a student like in the summertime years ago and just like a fantastic writer and um, had done some, done some anthology stuff for me at Vertigo. And um, she was from Nevada and um, I, yeah, I don't know. So I, I just was like, Hey, you know, I mean, the good thing with something like this is you could definitely like open up the, the door to maybe some non-traditional things, you yeah, know, in terms yeah. of, you know, like there's prose stuff in it, there's poems in it, there's nonfiction, you know, writing. Um, and then there's a lot of reported, you know, there's actual incidents either written out in prose and or written out, you know, in comic book form mm-hmm. sort of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was, you know, it was a good, those sorts of things. So I had reached out to her and then we needed an illustration for it. And, um, Jack was like, yeah, you know, of course I'll do one, you know, and it just, sends this really cool thing, you know, overnight, so to speak. And then yeah, a couple of guys I used to work with at DC who are now out doing some freelance writing stuff. Um, Scott Wilson, who used to, who's done some stuff with Batman, other things. And Greg Lockhart, who's my old, he was my associate editor, but he's been, um, doing some freelance editing and writing and runs his own like little publishing concern called poison press. Like, um, that he runs with Tim fish and, um, couple other people i think maybe monica gallagher's involved but monica did a piece too and so tim did a piece, you know so it was like you know one of those things like he'd reach out to greg and then he got tim to do you know his book and or his story and mm-hmm. stuff like that so because you know you were leaning a lot on people to sort of do as much of it as they could you know in sure. terms of like you knew a person that you know they did their own art and color like hey that's you know let's do that you know sure. or if you were somebody who wanted to always do your own color but couldn't get a chance to it's like sure if you want to do your own color like do it because it's one less person that right you know we should beg far i would feel to do it you know <laughs> understood of course yeah yeah so there you know there was definitely so you know some people some pretty unknown people or lesser known people and then some you know obviously like fairly well-known people um that you reached out to and 
Yeah, I mean, universally, like, you know, for the most part, it's like if they had the time to do it, they, they certainly jumped in to do it. We didn't really get a lot of pushback, which is, you know, some of these people, they're just so busy and stuff. And, of course, you know, yeah. They're going to shows and they're, I mean, there's so many shows now that that's like a huge thing that like now, even in my other work, I have to sort of factor into schedules a lot more than I used to, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. Absolutely, man. No, it's, well, and I'm, and I am interested in terms of how things are going. I mean, I'm not your accountant. But you know, mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of be doing freelance editing as you're doing now and stuff, and certainly you you've cultivated a, you know a good list of creators that do lean on you and do trust your eye uh, mm-hmm. from your years of working with them at Vertigo and the like. So um, yeah, I mean, I I know like last time we talked, you were uh, you and Jock were going out to promote the art of Jock book and and everything. Right. But uh, right. yeah, what's what's going on with you is beyond this project in terms of you know uh, the paying freelancing yeah. gigs. Yeah. Um, well, if you were my accountant, you'd be, you know, telling me to get a regular job probably. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I mean, I definitely like, you know, there's quite a few at image, you know, uh, I'm working on all the Lemire, Jeff Lemire books Great. Um, that are, are image. I mean, he's got a lot of other books like that amazing book of dark horse, yeah, the black, black hammer. hammer. Yeah. 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 And was doing all this stuff. I think at Valiant and other places, but, um, t- I'm just, just on the stuff he does at image, but even there. So there's like Gideon falls, Descender, mm-hmm. Royal City, yes. um, a couple that are, you know, other things that are more in the sort of, you know, larval stages that, you okay. know, down the pike, hopefully, will be will be happening um, there, which seems to be, you know, the place he seems pretty happy there. Um, so that's been going good. I mean, you know, he just has so much work to do. Like, I don't know. It's hard to know what my contribution is necessarily always because his stuff is always very together. And it seems like the teams that he's put together are very you know, Andrea Sorrentino does Gideon Falls yeah, or Wynn who does Descender. Yep. I mean, those dudes are just like, yeah, they're amazing, but they're also just like money in the bank. Like the only sure. person, Eduardo Riso is the only other person I can practically name off the top of my head that is just so steady, you know? That's I mean, those great. guys just put in, I mean, Dustin might let it go right to the end kind of, but then he'll send you 32 like amazing painted pages that are just like, you know, breathtaking, but Andrea, just like every Monday, here are my five or six pages and a cover. I did, you know, like, Jeez. yeah, it's just like a dream, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, there's those. And, um, I'm working on moonshine still, but that's the Azarel Riso. Like we're just starting the third arc of that. That's um, great. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That's been going well. I mean, yeah. it's great to work with those guys. Um, that's easy. Uh, I'm working on the witches with, um, it's not the witches, just witches with Jock and Scott. Like yeah. we've been doing, um, Scott Snyder, we've been, doing, uh, it's been in that image plus, which is like the image sort of solicitation catalog magazine thing yes. that they do. Yes. Yeah. We've been doing like a short thing in there for like almost a year now. Um, and, uh, that's been cool. It's going to be kind of a bridge between, you know, the existing volume one and then volume two. So I've been helping him with that since last summer and then on into like the second volume. So, yeah, so that should be coming <clears throat> down the pike here, you know, hopefully sooner than later. Um, and then uh, what else? There's something else. To oh, Dead Rabbit, which is like the new Jerry Duggan, John McRae book that just got announced at um, the expo this this winter. Or spring yes. Or yeah. Jerry, well, Jerry was telling me about that. I want to talk <clears throat> to McRae finally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so that's been cool. I mean, I, I've been fans of both their works, you know, for a long time, but had never and knew them just sort of from shows or saying hi or whatever. But um, 
never got to work with either one of them. And so the, yeah, they reached out to me and been at, you know, so I've been helping them out in that. So yeah, we're, we're moving along in that. I mean, I think we're getting, you know, it's supposed to come out like in the early fall, you know, mm-hmm. late summer, early fall. Yeah. So yeah, we got a few of those done for sure. It looks great. And you know, I mean, they're really, I mean, I guess the thing is the common thing is that, you know, all these people are, they're just like professionals, right? Like sure. everybody's like a pro at this point, which is kind of cool because there's no, there's, it's kind of boring, right? Cause there's no drama. There's no like, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, delays, stuff isn't, yeah. I mean, at this point in my life, like I'm, I feel like, you know, pretty, uh, pretty, um, pretty fortunate that, it, you know, it's just like, I don't, I don't need to hassle. I don't need to be chasing people all over the place. Well, no, of yeah, I mean, there's, that, there, there's some level of that, of course, always, but there's no, you know, people aren't just flaking out or, you know, and stuff like that. So, yeah, so I guess, I mean, those are, there's a lot of those. I'm doing some other kind of stuff, trying to do a little work for, um, uh, I'm doing one of those Batman, or the Black Label books, those DC books, which yes. those have all been announced. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're doing the Azarello Bermejo one that's sort of this spiritual sequel to the Joker hardcover. Yes. Um, or, you know, or it is a sequel to the Joker hardcover, so I don't, it, you know, it depends how you want to look at it we have these internal discussions all the time but i think it, you know you're with brian nothing is ever really you know 100 percent black and white so um yeah we've been working on that for quite a while so and that's that's coming along great you know and it's um it's kind of cool i mean those guys are great and you know it's it's slow but it's steady and you know it'll definitely come out on time like once it eventually comes out i don't i'm not 100 percent sure what dc's plans are for um you know, all of the launching and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but it's part of all these other books and things. And, um, and I think the thinking was just like, they were working on it so far in advance just to have somebody who wasn't necessarily so caught up in the inter- internal, you know, day to day stuff. Yeah. Over the usual there. monthly deadlines. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's one of those, it, it, that was always the problem when you worked on, you know, you had a bunch of your regular monthly books and then you had those sort of projects that were really important, but you, you know, they were, further down the road and they always felt further down the road, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy in your mind to put them off like, Oh, we don't need that for a year or two years or whatever, you know? And, but the problem is like, you know, you start to, they start to kick back and, you know, move back, move back. You know, it's like, it's, you never saw them to find the time to, to focus on them, you know, even sure. though they're far out. So, and particularly with these projects, like they want stuff in advance so that they can, you know, for book sales and all the rest. So, yeah, so I think the thinking was like, hey, we'll get somebody who's worked with these guys before and just sort of let them, you know, do their thing and <clears throat> keep it keep it out of the regular workflow over there. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Mark Doyle, who was I used to work with a Vertigo and then took over for Batman, and he's sort of spearheading the whole thing. So I think it felt like it seemed like a pretty safe bet for me to be, you know, even as involved as I am in it, you know. Um yeah, so that's pretty exciting. It's great to be with those guys, and the stuff looks awesome, you know. And I don't know what they showed already. I think they showed at least one image already of it. And I mean, Lee's just, you know, his stuff just gets better and better. Sure, man. No, I know. I've, uh, yeah. yeah, he's incredible. And no, I love both uh, the Luke, Luther and the Joker books. So did mm-hmm. did Lee do that Batman Deathblow? Death is it Deathblow? I forget uh, the Wildstorm yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, years ago. I think that was the first thing that. He probably did with Brian. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like, right, that was, I mean, he was still living in California then, I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's lived in Italy now for, for many, many years. I had no but, idea. That's amazing. Yeah, he, he, he moved over there in the early 2000s, probably. And, okay. Um, 
he didn't speak Italian or anything, but he learned and he's gotten amazing. <laughs> oh, that's know, cool. And like, you wouldn't know, he sounds like a native Italian speaker, but yeah, he, he's over there. So yeah, they worked on that years ago and, you know, we've done stuff off and on. I mean, we did the Joker thing and I think that was 2008, which was like 10 years ago now. And then we did, um, wow. we did the Rorschach thing. That was like the, the, before yeah, before Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then I worked with him on Suiciders, like right before I left yes. DC and, um, yeah, I mean, he's amazing. I mean, he's got so many ideas that he wants to do himself and write and draw stuff himself, but this seemed like a pretty good fit. And they, um, I mean, you know, these guys, it's not, it, it's connected to the Joker, but it's not, you know, it's, it's definitely its own thing. Cause Brian's not really the one who's going to want to do sequels. I think he, yeah. yeah, not that pure sequel, you know, I mean, it's that kind of thing. It's like, it's, he's always going to take your expectations and sort of, you know, fuck with them. <laughs> You know, of course he <laughs> is. You know, I mean, that's his, you know, that's his MO, you know, man. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's but great. I mean, he stood by me for, you know, almost 20 years now. So it's like, I, you know, I'm not sitting here without his sort of unwavering support. So, I, you know, I, I was curious about a couple other people that you've worked with in the past. First of all, I want to know have any of your students have you end up working with any of them professionally? You mentioned the one woman that, mm-hmm. that wrote the poem for where we live. But uh, yeah, like in any longer capacity, has any student become a collaborator? Um, no, I mean, her, her name's Talia. Uh, she, she had done a couple, at least one thing in one in those anthologies we were doing at DC for vertigo kind of towards the end, like the, um, I don't know if it was the CMYK one or maybe it was the science fiction one. Anyway, she had done like a short story in that. Cool. Um, and yeah, she's an incredible writer and she, but she oddly was in the Stern School of Business, which is, and she's like an accountant and worked at like these big finance companies and stuff. Um, and I've just been bugging her over the years, like, you know, I know you're probably getting paid real exponentially money. <laughs> more than you'll ever make in comics, but you know, you're a super talented writer and, um, yeah, so I don't know, we, you know, we've, we've kept in touch over the years and she sent me stuff. I mean, she's like, you know, like novels she's working on and other things like that and, um, so yeah, we haven't really coalesced around like one thing for sure, but she, she definitely has the potential. I mean, I know she's working on this book that's really at this point, I think fairly long. Like she sometimes sends me, you know, like a screen capture of like, you know, there's 900,000 words or I don't know, whatever it is. It's like a lot of words and I don't even know what that translates to in terms of, you know, pages or something. But, um, yeah, but that's about it. I mean, I mean, it's kind of a tricky, it's a little tricky because it's like there's definitely a lot of people who want to do stuff, you know, when you come out of those classes. But like, it's not that it's like frowned upon per se, but it's also like, you know, it's a little tricky. Like you don't, one year, I mean, if you're teaching, you don't really want to look like you're just there to sort of, you know, poach people. But at the same time, like, I I don't know, you know, like if some time passes and then the people are in contact with you or they send you something like that seems fine to me, but um, you don't want people to think you're giving some people preferential treatment. Who knows? The, the academic world is very muddy in terms of like, you know, it's like sort of, I don't know. Everyone's very kind of sensitive to everybody's, you know, behavior and everything else. And I, you know, I don't know. It's, it could just a little fraught. So I try to kind of keep it like separate. As much no, as I understand. Can. And you're not the first, yeah. you know, comic professional that has turned to, you know, teaching, and had those kind of stories. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, I'm really interested, and I didn't realize how many different stories you were involved with uh, Joe Kubert. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, so I, I'm interested. Uh, you know, I 
I still kick myself. Uh, I met him a couple times face to face. Palmiati was really nice and introduced me to him. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, yeah, he's like, you know, talk to Mike Pence at this, or not Mike Pence, but I forget the <laughs> Mike, yeah, definitely not uh, Vice President. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. I can't yeah, remember no. the guy's name at the school, at the, yeah, yeah. the Kubert school. He's like, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll set up a talk. And then unfortunately, you know, obviously he passed away. And, yeah. But I mean, honestly, I enjoyed our brief conversations, even in conventions and stuff. And what an interesting guy. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and also a, a, not only a fine writer and, and, and artist, but a fine editor himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, what was what was that like working with Joe? I mean, yeah, yeah, that was an amazing like experience. I mean, I, like growing up, I read a lot of comics, but I would say I was a Marvel guy. Right. Like okay. I was almost 100 percent Marvel. The only things I read that were DC related, like I read Batman, of course. So you're talking like early 70s, mid 70s, late 70s, you know, into the 80s. Yeah, yeah. So the only stuff I read, though, my brother and I both read was the the Joe's like war stuff. Yeah. You know, Sergeant Rock and Weird War Tales and, you know, take your pick. All of those kind of stuff. Agreed. Like, you know, and then. Yeah. Yeah. Like my brother liked them because like he, he didn't really like the, the you know, ongoing narratives of comics you know the cliffhangers and all that stuff he liked the sort of self-contained sort of thing so he was always picking those up wherever he could um so yeah so i was definitely like a huge fan of joe's stuff like as a you know i couldn't say that about the other dc creators really i mean i of course knew who they were but you know having met some of those other guys over the years like it's always exciting to meet you know like the carmine infantinos or those sorts of people but like joe one who i was like oh my and and I tell you, like Azrael and I met him because he had somehow Karen had Berger had sort of because she she had this very sort of um, you know fatherly daughterly almost relationship with him. Like he just really can't. He would come into the office and go to lunch with her, and he just treated her like you know really kindly and vice versa. And she, you know, like she had known him for years, you know, and and he he was just that kind of a guy, right? You know. I think if he liked you and respected you, he was like that. He could probably be not like that if he thought you were a jackass, sure. you know, but, um, <laughs> which there was no shortage of, and he never had any problem of saying that to people, which, you know, but, um, yeah, so she arranged, so Brian had the idea for that Sergeant Rock hardcover, and I remember she organized this lunch at some, like, kind of dark Italian restaurant, almost like you were there for, like, a hit or something. We were the only people there, and Brian and I are walking over to meet them and I never seen Brian like so nervous acting. And I was too. Like we both were like, Holy shit. Like we're, you know, like (laughs) Joe Hubert, like what are we going to do? You know, like I I don't know. We both like usually two guys who probably criticize for being too cool and too (laughs) taciturn and too standoffish. Like we both were just like, Holy crap. Like what, you know, like what do you because at some point you knew Karen was going to turn to Brian and be like, okay, so Brian, tell Joe what your story idea is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like the spotlight is on you and here's like this, you know, mountain of a man who's also like cuts this huge figure in the industry, you know? And, and, but he couldn't have been, I mean, he was no nonsense. There's no doubt. I mean, he was an old school, just like, you know, he would shake your hand and like, you felt like you were, he was going to pull your arm yes, out of your I, that shake. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> but he was also like, he, you know, he, he definitely had the vibe. And I think he got it from us right away that like, you know, we were about like doing good books and quality stuff. And even if I don't even know that he necessarily, he, the, the funny thing I recall is that he knew, he knew all the books. Like I know that the books, some of the material and a lot of the books, like he didn't necessarily either approve of or, or, or like, or felt like should be necessarily in comics even somewhat, you know, like 
just based on certain things you would say or whatever, you know, but, but he also like clearly could understand and appreciate like the art, the art, you know, quality of the writing, the quality of the art and that kind of stuff. Um, so he didn't really put even a lot of stipulations on Brian. I mean, mostly it was like, I think kind of like, I just want a book that like, you know, my grandson can read from the standpoint of like, you know, the cursing or the sex or the violence or whatever, you know, but, um, yeah, so I don't know. He, 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 so I think immediately he kind of took us as guys who really felt like, you know, quality was sort of job one to like use a stupid expression. But, you know, we weren't like running our mouths. We weren't acting foolish. We weren't putting out just stupid stuff. Like, you know, I mean, you could look at the stuff I worked on and stuff Brian worked on and sort of say like, you know, and certainly Karen, I mean, Karen vouching for you was a huge thing, right? I mean, if she sort of says like these people have met my standards, like, you know, clearly that's like say, saying a lot, you sure. know, to someone like Joe particularly. So, yeah, I don't know. Just so then by default, like everything went really well on that project. There really wasn't a lot. I mean, you didn't take a lot of direction or anything. I mean, there was a few moments when I was, hey, you know, what about doing this? Or maybe you want to open this scene up or a little longer. And sometimes he would do it. And a couple of times he'd be like, you're crazy, kid. Like, I'm not doing that. You know, <laughs> but but he was never disrespectful Good. and rude about it, you know, and he and stuff was just. Like, it was just awesome. I mean, the pages would come in and you'd be like, holy shit. Like, these are like, every page is just like a master class in like storytelling, you know, whether he's like, you know, there's an extreme close up or there's a little long shot of the guys going through the woods and they're all, I mean, I still remember they were just these little tiny, I mean, almost like upside down V's or something, but like, like your brain is translating to you that that's like a squad of, you know, easy company. Like, even though it's just literally, you look close at it and there's these little just divots and like in the snow or whatever and you know and that's a, i mean every page is just like the layouts the composition the way like you know your eye ran to the page like it was just like awesome you know and yeah so i think after that he, he would come in occasionally like we'd go to lunch he had his um he had the guy pete who used to work out there pete carlson who was kind of his he ran sort of the shop and he also sort of oversaw a lot of the helped him with business stuff and he always came along too and so i don't know joe, joe would just be like hey i'm gonna come into the city and you know you want to go to lunch and you know he had an idea for something or or not you know and then a few times i went out there to jersey and like just had you know they just took me out to lunch and like shot the shit and stuff like that but he, he was always um the fun, he'd always just be like you know once you'd stop talking about that he'd be like well how are you doing like how is you know how how are you you know like what's happening with you and cool. blah 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 like there was always a point after like, you know, when the DC sort of turned over and, you know, like the big changes started happening and people leaving and stuff. And then after he was gone, there was definitely Karen and I definitely would say to each other sometimes, like, I wonder what Joe would make of all this, you know, or like, <laughs> just sort of like, you know, you get these sorts of, you know, just the direction of not, you know, not just DC, but the whole industry and sure, stuff. Definitely. And, yeah. Everything, the politics, like the whole, you know, like he, he just didn't, um, I'm just curious to think like what some of those guys, particularly from that generation, you know, sort of having that like New York kind of, you know, experience and all the rest, like what would he make of like a Donald Trump, you know, like that kind of, like, I he's definitely imagine, kind yeah, of, yeah. think what, you know, are those just the guys that, you know, the bullies on the playground that he would just punch in the mouth uh, yes. you know, him and, you know, Jack Kirby's of the world, you know, like the Nazis, <laughs> there's good Nazis out there. I mean, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that you think would just. You know, but, but it was, I mean, I got to know like the boys, you know, Adam and Andy a little bit. Cool. And, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was, it was definitely one of the highlights of my 
career in terms of, you know, when you get to meet people that you've admired and, and also just to see the way he behaved, the way he operated, the way he treated people, you know, it definitely was, um, like a role model in that respect, you know, that's excellent, man. I, um, yeah, I mean, he's a guy who, you know, if, if, Listeners don't realize how far back he goes. I mean, he was literally sharpening, sharpening pencils for Will Eisner in his studio when Joe was like 13 and getting started in the business. And it would have that yeah. literally lifelong perspective of, well, this is how we did it in the 40s. And like oh, you said, yeah. not only even today's culture wars, but even just like you said, like the DC move to Burbank, what Joe would have made of that. And, right. and, right. and you know, were you working on that um, DC Presents Qbert series that he was doing up until he passed away? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. No, I don't, I don't think I was, was I? No, I don't think so. Okay, because I noticed... <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say. No problem. I will, and, but you did do some of the things like, was it Jew Gangster was one of his titles that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you, yeah, at some point he had a bunch of titles that he had done over the years. I think like Dennis Kitchen or other people had published. Okay. Um, and then he had other titles that he wanted to do. Yeah. And brought them to us, you know, and, and basically Karen was like, yeah, like, whatever you want to do, like, let's do it, you know, like, yeah. And so we were sort of building, there was like a library of, you know, like a half a dozen books. And then there was, he always had, like, he'd come in with his files of these projects that, you know, he'd sort of, you know, had sort of in his mind for Mm -hmm. forever. I mean, he definitely was that, I don't know that he was quite as, you know, far out as like Jack Kirby with like, just, you know, I have a million ideas for X, Y, and Z, but, you know, I think guys from that generation definitely, you know, like they had ideas for stuff and particularly a lot of them when they weren't allowed to do certain things or it just wasn't, you know, what people wanted or whatever. Sure. So, yeah, he would definitely bring in these kind of, you know, folders with like lots of stuff. And, yeah, I mean, it was always like kind of a cool thing. You know, he was trying to do various stuff. He had ideas about lots of different things. But, um, yeah, I mean, we were definitely pulling things that were um, seemed to fit the vertigo, you know, at least genres and other things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I say I worked on all that stuff. I mean, he, he mostly though, you know, he, he would just sort of do it. And then Pete would call me and say, Hey, Joe's got, you know, 20 pages done. You want me to send them over? And then, you know, no, don't send them. Yeah, Pete, I don't please hang out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, I mean, that was cool. But yeah, he used to tell the stories about like being a kid and like his mom would pack like a lunch and wrap it all up like in a newspaper. And he used to have to ride the train. Like, cause I think he lived in like East New York or Brownsville or one of those neighborhoods. It's pretty pretty rough out in Brooklyn, you know, Okay. and just have to ride in and like go to Eisner studios. And yeah, basically like he'd name names and you're just like, I can't believe that that, you know, these names you're naming. Yeah. And they would just be like, dude, just, you know, kid, just fill in all that black on that page because <laughs> I'm going to get a drink or I need to, you know, whatever it was, <laughs> you know? And, you know, so you're like, you try to picture him there. It's just like, Oh man. Cause to me, he's like, he's always like this big figure. Like yes. you try to picture him. It is kind of funny. Well, yeah, because he was already, you know, the editor and the writer artist of, of like the, like you said, the war line and everything. Uh, him and Robert Kaniger pretty much shouldering yeah. like 80% of like the stuff that Russ Heath wasn't doing, you know, stuff yeah, like he, that. I, I had a panel at Chicago Con one year that they asked me to moderate, and it was with Russ Heath and Joe. And I was like, you got to be kidding wow. me. Like, what am I? Yeah, like, where's Mark, you know? Mark, I've been here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like you need somebody right who knows this stuff inside now. So I was kind of like, well, you know, I don't know all the. I I had read a lot of it, but I sure. I can't quote chapter and verse. Right. So then you know you're we like, let's have a more a bigger conversation maybe about you know 
culture and war comics and doing those comics in the 60s and the 70s and what you could do and what you couldn't do and you know that sort of stuff and and it was just like amazing stories one after another but there was definitely one joe was telling some story about how he used to have to call like russ was living at the playboy mansion like in chicago yes, i guess I, it was I, I have heard about that yes and i and maybe in la as well i'm not sure but i but yeah you're right i, I and actually several cartoonists i guess over the over the years were, were in chicago because of hefner's love yeah, of it and also him using guys like will elder for little annie fanny and stuff like that right. Yeah, yeah, it hurt. He was like a big patron, I think, of cartoonists, even, you know, yep. giving work or money or anything, you know, kind of stuff. But yeah, it was just this hysterical story about calling and needing these pages and calling all over and finally getting some number to this, like, and they ran some phone out to like the pool and Russ was in the pool. Like, and there was some phone that had like a 200 foot cord or something and he was in the pool like talking to Joe, like back in New York and Joe's screaming at him about, give me those goddamn pages, you son of a bitch. And he said he's in the pool with like all these, you know, bunnies around sure. and drinking martinis. And like, it was just like, all right, I'll get to it when I get to it. And Joe was still mad about it. Like, I mean, he was on the panel just like, you son of a bitch. You know, I mean, not, you know, like it was just funny to see these guys like 30, 40, 50 years later, whatever it was, like just still like, you know, you screwed me on that page. <laughs> GI Combat number 74, you know, <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, that was one of those ones where you just sort of like get out of the way, right? It's like, yeah. just, you know, okay. ask, ask some broad ranging question and just like let them go, you know? Well, I, I, when I saw him at, uh, I forget what comic convention, I, I, you know, it, it, this is my new thing now. I always look for reader copies of the war books and I don't care if it's the 50s, mm -hmm. 60s, 70s or 80s. Right. That's the kind of stuff I'm looking for because the the material was so interesting, and um, I had a I think it was uh, one of DC's war characters. I think it's Captain Strong or something like that, but um, I couldn't identify the artist. And back then they didn't have the credits, right? And so I brought it up to him, and I'm like, Joe, I think this is maybe Jim Apero. I'm not. And he looks, he's like Irv Novik. You know, like within five <laughs> seconds, he's like Irv Novik, and I'm like, oh yeah, of course, thank you, man. And I know he, like you said, I think he appreciated people that you know, could go deep with him in terms of like different work that he did. And Norman Maurer, his longtime uh, cartoonist mm -hmm. collaborator at St. John's, and they did like, you know, 3D comics at St. John's and stuff back mm -hmm. in the 50s. I'm a huge, huge Three Stooges fan. And back in high school, I interviewed Norm Maurer because he's Moe's son-in-law. He married Moe's oh, daughter. Wow. Yeah. So, and when I talked to Joe, the, the Fairley Brothers uh, Three Stooges movie had come out. And uh -huh. I'm like, what, you know, did you see it? What did you think? And he's like, oh, yeah, I saw it. And he goes, you know, and he, I'm like, so what did you think? He goes, you know, it wasn't bad. It was all right. He goes, you know, they, they, they were going for the spirit of it, and I could appreciate it. He goes, I didn't like everything. But, uh, right. he goes, you know, it was pretty good. And I said, yeah, man. I said, God, when we talk, I'd love to hear more stories about Norman. Because I didn't even know about Norman's comic book career. Because he really took over as the Stooges' business manager and uh -huh. produced all of those 60s Joe Dorita, Curly Joe movies where they finally made money because you know columbia uh -huh. like screwed them about the shorts and stuff like that and they made crap but uh sure. but yeah so um yeah i focused mostly with norman talking about just the stooges and everything but yeah oh no joe had a couple great like you know stories of you know being at most <laughs> with norman and stuff. yeah yeah so no he was uh I, I i yeah like i said i i i wish i wish we had met like a year earlier so i could have gotten the uh the conversation online and really, really talk to him more than the couple 10 minute conversations I had with him oh, at conventions. Yeah. But oh. yeah, what I mean, again, just that kind of perspective and certainly Russ Heath as well. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, I can only imagine, man. That's that's uh, that's amazing. And then um, if you don't mind, real fast um, mm-hmm. to wrap up, I'm uh, on the other side of that. You know, working with Cupid and stuff. And then did you edit the uh, Garth Ennis War Story stuff? Um, yeah, yeah, we did. What did we do? Two rounds of those, I think we did. Um, they were amazing, man. I mean, honestly, they, oh, they cool. and, I, and truly not being nice. They they held up right next to what what Joe and and Kaniger and those guys were doing with the war line uh-huh. back in the day. I really thought they were. It was it was part of that whole early two thousands thing of me rediscovering comics and going, God damn man, everybody grew up and it's like you know the material's right. never been better. Right. Yeah. No, I did. I was lucky to work on that. I hadn't. You know, like I knew Garth. Just he would come by the office fairly regularly. You know, and. um when he was finishing up preacher and mm-hmm. uh yeah so he, i worked on a, yeah, a couple rounds of those um but again those are those kinds of things where like he he knows you know like he has very strong ideas and opinions about what he's doing you know and and they're like what are you going to say about it just from the standpoint of like he knows the material inside now like he clearly is like super passionate about it you know and, and he's got all these ideas and then he would even set up like the creators mostly oh, you know okay. so yeah yeah, I mean, he would kind of come to you and say, hey, I want, you know, Carlos Escara is going to draw this, and Cam Kennedy is going to draw that one, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. David so, Lloyd did an amazing one, I know. Oh, yeah, with a guy, I can picture he's like a, he was flying like a plane that, like, had to, like, land on water. Or yes. Some, I, yeah. I can picture, like, sort of a, or, you know, like a sea sort of thing. Um, yeah, so he, those were, you know, he, he would just come with the teens and the whole thing and just sort of, you know, this is what it is, you know, but... Um, yeah, that was great. I mean, and like I said, I, I think you're right. I mean, they definitely captured the spirit of, of those those old comics, yeah. but without being, you know, sometimes that stuff can tend to be a little kind of, you know, saccharine or sentimental yes. or just sort of, because the original stuff wasn't real. I mean, you know, occasionally maybe there were stories that were, but I mean, Rock was pretty like straight, you know, straight ahead. Yeah. Like they didn't, you know, they didn't mess around. There wasn't a lot of, you know, people, I mean, the team stayed alive, but people died and there were consequences for a lot of things that sure. happened and stuff. You know, so there wasn't a lot of that sort of sentimentality necessarily about that stuff. I mean, it was pretty hard boiled for comics, you know, particularly. But um, yeah, yeah, that stuff was great. I mean, I've been, I mean, obviously, I've been lucky and blessed with the people that I've gotten to work with. But I mean, there is a thread that runs through a lot of the stuff I've done, where it's like, if you can work with really good professional people like that, then you know. Like my job is really easy. Like I'm always looking for a way to make my job easier. Right? I mean, anybody who doesn't is kind of dope, you know, and some people, I, some people like, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess there's people who like to thrive on, you know, drama the and challenge. Turn, yeah. You know, yeah. or all that kind of stuff. I mean, you even look at our president. I mean, he seems to sort of, you know, there's people who just like that, you know, they like the turmoil. Yeah, they chaos. Like the yeah. It's like, I'm the total opposite of that. So it's just like, you know, if I can get, you know, Carlos Escara and Cam Kennedy and David Lloyd and Garth Innes and guys working on books together. Like, what am I going to, I don't need to be calling them. I don't need to be bugging them. I don't need to be telling them, Oh, change this 5%, you know, like it, 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 like, but I mean, there are a lot of editors that do that. Right. I mean, there's a lot of editors that feel like that's their job. And if they're not asking for those sorts of changes, then, then they're not doing their job to their full capacity. I mean, so, which I've never, subscribe to that notion i mean it's fine if that works for you and people are happy working like that i just was always like you know if if i get the right people in the right positions like i don't 
you know, it's like managing like a really good NBA team. Like, what are you really, you know, maybe on the timeouts, you're telling them like, hey, we got two timeouts left and, you know, like don't foul or something. But like, otherwise, <laughs> what do you, what does Steve Kerr do with like the Golden State Warriors? Is he really doing a lot of like, you know, teaching? I, I don't think so. You know, I mean, it's just like, but you know, but it's like, but it's meanwhile, he looks like a genius. You know, everyone thinks he's a genius. It's like, you know, Phil Jackson, like coaching the, Michael Jordan Bowl. Sure. You think if sure. Bill Jackson hadn't been on the sideline, they would have won, you know, less games. I mean, I just, I don't, you know. No, I know. So you, well, it's like a genius, you know. So it's like, or like whatever he's doing, you don't know what it is. So that's always been my sort of, you know, approach. It's just kind of like pick your spots and, you know, put your input in where you think it makes sense or whatever, you know. And once you're not doing it all the time, then it, it te- my experience has been that it tends to have more resonance when you do say, you know, raise your hand and say, hey, you know, maybe we should do this or have you thought about doing that or, you know, but I think because I think it's when you're in there all the time picking the hood up and tinkering around with the engine, you know, after a while they just like tune you out, you know, like you just, you know, you're just one more voice in the creator's head that's a pain in the ass, you know. I'm with you. That's so, you know, but I've been, you know, but I've been lucky. And I think so those kinds of people I've been, I don't know if they've, I don't know. The, the world is weird, right? It's like, do those people, do you find those people because of the way you are? Or do they find you because of the way they are or vice versa? You know, or I don't know, like somewhere in between, like there is a weird lattice of coincidence to use a phrase from Repo Man, where it's just kind of like <laughs> things that. You know, like when I, I think I told that story last time, it's actually like when we were working on Scalped and Jason Aaron, you know, who comes to me out of like the ether essentially. And then he has this idea. And then within, I don't know, days or weeks of us sort of getting that approved for Scalped and Gara, like, I don't know if he faxed him or emailed in these. I never heard of it from like, I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. And he sends in these half dozen pages that you just look at them and you're like, holy shit, like this is. Like who else could possibly draw this book, you know? And then you get in touch with him and he does a couple of pages just based on like the pitch that we had that, you know, we didn't end up using in the book, but we could have used them in the book eventually. They were so good. And, you know, I mean, so it's those sorts of these weird kind of kismity moments that you're just kind of like, is the universe just like looking out for you or you, you know, I don't know. I mean, but then you're lucky too, because it's like, you know, a lot of other people would have said, ah, you know, these guys, Jason Aaron and RM Guerra, like those guys couldn't get arrested, you know? Right. So it's like, sure. but you know, you had people like Karen or other people that were supportive of respecting your, you know, opinion or respecting your taste and like taking a flyer once in a while on people like that, you know, because otherwise, you know, the easy thing to do would be like, hell no, like go get somebody bankable, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, so I don't know. I, I mean, I, I've, I've had a lot of luck in my career. That's for damn sure. I understand that. But you've also, again, it's it, luck, but, uh, there's when, when you can count as many successful and even, even the unsuccessful from maybe a sales standpoint, like Greek mm-hmm. streets is still interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, you know, so I don't know. I, I just know the finished product when you see it, it's, it's quality. So, and again, that's that's why I was like, dude, I eventually want to talk to you because you work with all these on these great books and these great teams and everything. So I'm interested in what your perspective no. was as it was happening. Yeah. Absolutely, man. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I don't know. It's hard to know over the years like what your input's been. And yeah, I mean there's a lot of you remember the things that don't work maybe a lot more than the things that do work, you know, or the things that didn't go. I mean, the, I was saying to somebody the other day, like, I've never really had a huge hit. Like that's the weird thing about my career. It's like I haven't had a knockout 
hit. You know, I've been on books like Why the Last Man that I didn't I didn't start that, but right. that was a big book and Hundred Bullets, I mean, of course. Could have done well, Hundred Bullets, but like books that like of all the books I've worked on from scratch, or even though, I mean, even though it was like I mean, Hundred Bullets was always well respected and did fine sales wise, but it wasn't it a wasn't, you know, It wasn't like a saga or a Walking Dead or even like a fables or something sure. in terms of like a sales standpoint. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I've never like I was talking to someone the other day about that. I was like, yeah, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, sort of like another sports analogy, but it's like that Ichiro Suzuki sort of like I just put up a lot of really good seasons of you know, like a solid batting average, like good in the field, you know, gets on base, drives in some run, you know, like you could just like you know, and that's fine. Like I always wanted to just sort of be there to sort of, you know, you could count on a certain, you know, if you spent the money for the book, like you. You know, you were getting a certain expectation of, yes. you know, quality or it was it, a point of view or just something that wasn't, you know, just like we weren't just churning it out. You know, like I spent a lot of time worrying about it, thinking about it, working on it, you know, I mean, talking about it. It's, you know, so I don't know, maybe it's 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 a little misleading to act like I just sort of sat back and these things magically appear. Yeah, man. But. Well, you're like Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron never hit over, you know, 50 home runs in a season, but then all of a sudden he's the home run king because he yeah, you know, showed up, he showed up every season and, and you know, 45 kid, plus every year, you know, for 20 years. Yeah. As a kid, he was my favorite baseball too, player man. as a kid. So maybe that's, maybe that's, uh, maybe there's something there, you know, like that was just, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's, you know, it's good. And if it helps work on these projects, like the, where we live, you know, if you can make a few phone calls and, get some maybe some bigger name people in or, or some new people too you know we got like new people and you know then then it's like you might as well try to trade off of some of the goodwill you've earned over the years you know yeah i like so. it i know that's great man i uh i i appreciate it and um you know where we live is uh is an amazing uh, uh anthology and supporting a good cause and um yeah a lot of times these anthologies are really uh, amazing to look at from just an artistic standpoint and the different voices and the different mm-hmm. presentations and that kind of anthology allows for that kind of experimentation and creativity is some of the things you've described in the book in this new project and as always no i'm really glad that uh, you're sticking with uh you know the various uh people that you've worked with in the past and now that they have shifted into more creator owned books that they're tapping you to uh, mm-hmm. to be uh, you know on for the ride and everything so as always, yeah. keep it up. Uh, great work, and uh, and always good talking to you. And yeah. when there's when there's something new, if it's witches or uh, volume two or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever is you know something that uh, is it's going to strike my eye, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably reach out and uh, demand another cool. yearly conversation from you. So, no, I love it. It's nice. I mean, I didn't talk like you said. I didn't get to talk about any of this stuff for a long time. And yeah, you know, I'm like I'm not on social media at all anymore. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook or Instagram. Like so. It gets to be a little, uh, you know, I don't know, lonely. I was going to say too quiet, friend, man. But, you know, yeah, it's just, you know, so it's nice to be able to talk about this stuff and you know, talk about all these amazing people that I've been lucky to sort of work with over the years, you know? Yeah, man. No, I, I want keep it up. And uh, as always, no, and I, and I will always reach back, I think, in every conversation and want to want to talk about a creator or two that you've. Oh, yeah. I love those stories. Well, we do, too. And that's and truly, man, honestly. <laughs> Uh, the, the talk we had with Jock and our and our solo conversation, so much great feedback from my audience, thanking oh, you cool. know you for your stories and everything. And yeah, man, oh, no, yeah. this is this is how we learn. I mean, and and truly, I think uh, the the aspiring creators are, appreciate 
you know, hearing how things went and everything, and as they're making their first books and everything. So, no, it's uh, cool. it's appreciated, dude. And uh, thank you for your time. Have fun at uh, Book Expo. Yeah, man. Thank you. As you heard from that list, Will is working on a lot of great creator-owned books as an editor, uh, working with people like Jeff Lemire and Scott Snyder and Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Riso. It's uh, great to have Will back, and I'm happy to always have him back to talk more about uh, some of the things that he's doing in comic books today. Now let's switch to our conversation with J.H. Williams and Wendy Wright Williams, uh, the two uh, creative linchpins that really got things going for the Where We Live anthology. I, As I say in the conversation, I have every intention of having Jim back to talk about Batwoman and Promethea and so many other wonderful things that he continues to do in comics. But uh, today, I, I really felt we should focus on uh, the book because it's an amazing project and uh, really... Uh, Wendy and Jim deserve a lot of credit for uh, putting this together with uh, Mike Perlman and, uh, of course, Will and the, all the other Eric Stevenson and the people at Image and uh, making this happen. So let's get into our conversation now with uh, Jim Williams and Wendy Wright Williams talking about where we live on Word Balloon. J.H. Williams and Wendy Wright Williams, uh, welcome to Word Balloon. It's a pleasure to talk to you today about uh, your ambitious project. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely, man. No, great cause and uh, wonderful anthology to uh, to honor those who, who have fallen and also uh, giving a chance for a wide range of uh, creators to contribute to this. What, uh, you know, what was the inspiration for both of you? Obviously, the tragedy, but, you know, to... to to kind of make something happen this way, you know, uh, what, what was the thinking behind this? Well, we felt like, you know, um, after what happened, it was uh, so big and so traumatic. And we've, you know, of course, wanted to help any way we could. Um, and we felt like, you know, through our medium, we could contribute something unique and actually maybe address some of the problem that uh, causes this type of event to happen in the first place. I just felt like it was, it would be kind of cheap to do anything less than that um, considering, you know, how, what happened. Um, and I just wanted to do something meaningful. Um, and, and of course, raise money, um, you know, which, you know, with the sheer amount of, injured was we knew it was going to be huge yeah and the other th yeah and the other thing about it is you know we all know this experience of the media cycle moving on so quickly these days um and incidences like this particularly as egregious as this one was and how widespread the damage was um we felt like you know this would be a good way to keep to re-engage the country that these people who were affected uh, are still going to need help. Um, they, they shouldn't be forgotten about. They're uh, still going through it. And some of them will be dealing with the ramifications for the rest of their lives. And, um, and I, we also felt like by doing a book with this kind of content that like she was saying, Wendy was saying about, discussing the issues at hand also means that by putting it down on paper, 
it pushes that conversation forward. We can't just keep letting this slip under the rug. It has to keep, you know, we have to engage the subject. And if we're ever going to solve it, you know, if we don't talk about it, it won't ever get solved. So, Agreed. No, it's, uh, and again, you guys have, uh, you know, gathered a bunch of great uh, creators. And uh, Wendy, forgive me, is this your first uh, comic, you know, uh, creation? And if not, uh, tell me about your background in comics. Um, I've been basically Jim's manager for 20-some years. Okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so you got a little experience. behind obviously. the curtain. Yeah, so I, I'm like in the, in the industry, but not in the way the rest of these guys are. I understand. And, and you know, I write, but it's mainly for myself. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, we, I, there was a failed project that uh, I wrote uh, some comic, some sequential um, scripts for. Oh, cool. But, uh, uh, but yeah, so it's basically through Jim. I'm, I'm like, you know, intimately familiar with this entire industry. I've been in this industry a long time. It's just mm-hmm. not in the same way, you know, uh, of course, Jim has been. I understand. No, that's that's terrific. So, and and I'm guessing, obviously, I talked to Will Dennis already, and he told me that yeah. the two of you really were behind, you know, corralling all the creators and stuff, and 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 getting everybody together, um, you know. So, well, well Will Will I, did a lot of work too. Well, yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> is he being modest? He's he's being a bit modest there. I mean, he brought in quite a few people from you know his contacts list. And, you know, Michael Perlman, who was the, ended up being the assistant on the project, he pulled in some people from people that he knows. That's great. So it was really all of our efforts to make it the full, fully realized book that you see uh, out on stands today. Yeah, I mean, you know, the book is, was an incredible amount of work, but, you know, it's not, it's not the type of project that it's like, you know, one man on a mission it's you know it's a group of us sure you know and everybody uh working overtime on that and you know there's nothing i mean everybody did above and beyond and uh including the creators that were involved yeah yeah it was oh go ahead no no you can continue jim and then i'll ask a question i was just gonna say you know it was an extremely daunting task and sure you know we we knew it would be a lot of work. Um, we just maybe didn't anticipate it would be much work. A little naive or, on that part. <laughs> or how long it would take to actually get it done. I mean, the timing of trying to get it done was rather odd because all the holidays came up immediately after that. Um, and that makes it harder to get something like this moving on a, 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 a quicker momentum. Um, so in some ways it's, you know, we look at the time, you know, at the calendar, and it's been eight months since the tragedy happened. Yeah. But at the same time, we kind of feel like we couldn't have gotten it done any sooner without sacrificing it actually doing something worth saying. So I understand. Uh, yeah. And, and in turn, it's going to have longevity, I think. I think it's going to be something that's going to continue to resonate throughout the rest of the year, at least. Right. And, and I think, you know, for us, maybe people in other parts of the country, eight months seems like a long time, but we're still talking to survivors and it's like it happened yesterday. Yeah. Sure. Um, and, and so for them, you know, 
this is nothing, you know. So, so I feel better to have put out the right project than, you know, something that just would raise money quickly. Yeah, and it addresses the fact that this is an ongoing struggle for a community when this sort of thing happens, you know, um, and the rest of the country a lot of times doesn't necessarily see that unless if it's happened in their community, which unfortunately seems to be coming broader and broader um, circumstances for cities across the country. So agreed. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. And it, you know, I mean, uh, last year, uh, our love is real was the Orlando uh, uh, bar shootings that happened. And I talked to Mark Andreco about that. No, to, to get this turned around in eight months is an achievement. And again, this is, over 300 pages. Um, what were the parameters in terms of, uh, you know, when you when you approached, you know, creators? Because obviously, you know, they want to do it. Is there was there a minimum? Was there a maximum in terms of how much you know they can contribute? How how long are the longest stories? And and I know there are some that are you know literally just a poem with uh, an image. Uh, I know uh, one yeah uh, one one ish one uh, you know collaboration was an image from Jock, and I know a poem that uh, a woman, Will, yep. was telling me, you know, contributed, things like that. So, yeah, tell me about, like, what kind of parameters there were for the creators. Well, it was kind of funny because, you know, when we first started it, we all had, <laughs> for lack of a better term, stars in our eyes about what we could expect to make happen. But when you're dealing with, you know, exp looking to get free work out of people, that makes it really hard because everyone's got work schedules sure. and, and their own uh, financial needs that they have to meet. Of course. So when we first started, we were, you know, asking for... whatever you want. <laughs> well, we were, we were asking for eight to ten page stories. Wow, right? okay. And we quickly, yeah, we quickly realized that wasn't, wasn't going to happen. Writers, for a lot of writers, it wasn't necessarily a big deal, but for the artists, that was very difficult for some to, to, to carve out that level of time. And uh, as an artist myself, I should have actually recognized that would have been a problem up front. Understood. And so part of the way, yeah, part of the way through, we we shortened, um, you know, the commitment, basically saying, you know, can you keep it to four four to five pages? Um, and then there were some people who would come back and say, look, I can do one or I can do two. And then there were some people that said, hey, I, I can manage six to eight. And that's why you get such a wide variety of uh, page counts yeah. in there. Uh, but I, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Okay. Um, but I think that's actually a good thing because it allows for each piece to feel more unique and in variant. Yeah. Um, by yeah. Do you have yeah. anything to say? No, I, I yeah, basically yeah, the same thing. It's just like you know, we knew there was a lot to say, uh, and we didn't want to impede the creators in any way as far as what they needed to say. Yeah. And so, you know, we're thinking whatever you want. <laughs> um, and, uh, which turned out to be silly, but, um, you know, they still, uh, I think we're able to turn in something very meaningful. And my, my, I'm so, um, we did have a mission statement. We did have a mission statement that, you know, um, again, not trying to control what was being said, but that everything had to be thoughtful and not a knee jerk response because of course, of course there's a lot of anger. We had a lot of anger. 
um, and terrible sadness. Um, and, you know, but we need to have something beyond that. We need to have a, a better conversation than that. And, you know, if it's just a matter of shouting someone down just in print, then I don't think that's productive. Yeah. Uh, so that was the only real parameters that we had. Well, the mission statement had a list of subjects, you know, that we were we hoping cover, yeah. would hope people would want to tackle in some form or another. And that, I think, helped. Um, <clears throat> and then as far as the size of the book and the page counts that we ended up with, Image Comics came through for us in a really big way because when we first started, you know, trying to do this, we kind of went to Eric Stevenson at Image and said, you know, hey, is there? do you have a cutoff limit? Do you have, you know, a, a page limit on this book that you you are comfortable with keeping it at? Um, <clears throat> you know, because we knew their costs were going to be having, having to be considered as well. Sure. And Eric was, Eric was tremendous. His reply was, well, no, let's wait and see what we get in. And that... And, and that, I think, led to one of the reasons why the book is of the size that it is, because Image was just willing to wait to see what the content was going to be, how many people were willing to jump on board, which is fantastic. Right. And, and, and as the book grew, we kept checking in. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, no, nope, that's fine. Just keep going. And yep. uh, it was never a problem, and it, including when, you know, we realized that with the survivor stories, um, we wanted to delineate them in some way um, because there is some fiction and allegory and we didn't want, you know, a survivor story or, you know, one of the local stories of, from that night uh, to be butted up against something that might be fiction and we didn't want any confusion there and we wanted them to have a kind of a special space anyway. And so, you know, we thought, you know, Will, this is one of Will's contributions is that you know, we thought about um, We're trying to think put, of how to design that. Putting a design page on either end of their story so that they're delineated in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Will, Will came, yeah, Will came up with that idea because when it came th- time to start thinking about how to put the book together, um, of course, we needed to figure out how to make sure the like she was saying, like when you're saying that those witness stories or those personal perspective stories from local people felt like they were honored properly we were like racking our brains on how to do that do we put them all in their own section or what but then we felt yeah, like i didn't like that and yeah and then we felt like well the the whole book is such a mixed tape we really needed to find another way and will came up with the idea of of a design page uh in front and back uh which of course means more pages to the actual book in terms of design and cost yeah. and cost you know and and, and again eric just didn't flinch. Yeah, he's like, that sounds fantastic, was his response. And, yeah. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I, I just really like how we have the the witness stories kind of sprinkled throughout because, you know, you have, you can have three or four stories of fiction or, you know, something that you, um, you know, it, it may not, might not be something that you necessarily agree with, you know, and but then it brings you back to who this is supposed to be about and how, you know, uh, this in real life affects someone 
Um, and so it just, it's kind of like this, uh, rhythm that was created in the book that, um, keeps reminding you of who this is about. Yeah. And as far as the size of the book, the only other thing I, I can, I, I'm very confident that if the book needed more time to get done, it would have been even bigger mm -hmm. because sure. there was people that still want one come on board but, at the very last minute we were but, still getting the yeah, offers but time ran out you know sure. um so it's really uh amazing to that we got uh, the product that we got so yeah and, and the other thing that we wanted to do with the book is make sure that we had as many local voices as possible and you know because this is about our community and you know we wanted to hear from the people that were in the community that, you know, cause everybody moves on and, you know, the, they don't necessarily get heard a lot of the time. And, and so, you know, we wanted to make sure that people in the community were involved, that we had as many locals as possible. And so I'm really proud of that, that we have, that we, you know, found a lot of local writers, artists, and journalists to contribute and, you know, I'm so grateful for their time and, and we're able to match them with people, that, you know, veterans in our industry. And that's, you know, again, something I think very unique that we did with this book. Yeah. I, you know, even though it's about what happened here in Las Vegas by just the, there's a subliminal message there in the fact that we have these local contributors along the side of people from all over the world. And I think that shows what happens in one community uh, goes well beyond that. It reaches out to to the rest of the country and to the rest of the world. I mean, one of the first people to reach out to me when we first uh, started talking about trying to do this was someone from Chile. Um, wow. And so I think this issue speaks to a lot of people's hearts and minds. Um, and hopefully it makes them and, feel like we're in this together. Yeah. And totally. so, you know, the title of the book speaks to that as well. You know, Wendy named the book and uh, it's on the surface. It's like where we live. We live here in Las Vegas. So of course, you know, it's where we live, but it's also where we all live in, in our hearts and minds and sure. what we're willing to allow into our lives. Uh, when it, these horrific events and, you know, <clears throat> people using the terms like, Oh, this is the new normal. And, things like that and it's not normal we all have to we all live where we live and the, this could happen in your community absolutely um if it hasn't already yeah to some degree so no agreed and and it is and it will take uh certainly from a united states perspective a national effort to change things so it is yeah, at the right. same time yeah it is something that you you know it hits you locally but again to really affect change this is something that's going to have to happen on a national scale yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we also chose the cover the way we did for it to be a house, um, because that could be anyone's house. Even though you can see Las Vegas Strip in the background, um, you know, as a community, it could be your home. It could be anyone's home. Um, so, yeah. No, I understood. You know, I don't know much about the comic community of Vegas. What, what can you tell us about it? Um, the, the fans here are, are fantastic. I mean, yeah. it, uh, there might be more stores per capita here than any other. Really? City, I Interesting. Think, 
Um, uh, yeah, there's just a large number of stores. Um, and then there's some other professionals here, uh, you know, that work directly in, in, the, in the industry or tangentially have a connection to it. Um, you know, there's, you know, myself and Wendy and James Robinson, Jay Lee is out here. Um, one of the Hernandez brothers is out here. James Robinson is out here. Um, and you know, other people have lived here at in the past. Time. Yeah. yeah. Like Bill Willingham and yeah. the, you know, the other Hernandez brothers. Yeah. Stephen Grant's out here too. Um, right. I forgot about and, that. Uh, and I didn't know James had moved over there. That's great. Yeah. yeah and Haverlin has uh, family here. Oh, yeah. He's here often. Brian Haverlin. Yeah. Oh, he cool. Has family here. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a, a thriving artistic community here. There's even a local comics publisher here. I, for the life of me, I can't think of what they're called at the moment. But it's funny because quite often there's this uh, near the comic store that I, I shop at. Um, there's this waffle place, <laughs> and they have a they have a comic book art wall. It's a waffle witch place. Yeah, it's a, right. It's a waffle sandwich place, right? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> They have this comic book art wall, and there's and it's always local comic artists, and a lot of them, you know, do stuff for this really tiny publisher, and they'll sell their comics in there. Uh, wow. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's interesting. Um, and there's, there's uh, Laramie Taylor. Laramie Taylor and uh, his wife Silv live here as well. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Is this, I think it's going to continue to grow in various ways and um one of my uh co-writing partners lives here and yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i mean people i mean the las vegas area is two million people so there's a huge amount of people here and um you know we, we were hearing from stores that we never even knew were here cool. uh that's, that's how there are yeah um, and yeah there seems to be uh, quite the market and quite the support for comics here, which is fantastic. Yeah, because I think one of the reasons why there are so many stores is because the the community is large and it's spread out a bit. Not as bad as you might think it would be, like not like LA, but it is spread out. Mm -hmm. And it sort of seems like each store has their own group of the population that's mm -hmm. near them that focuses their their purchasing habits at that particular location. Um, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, uh, coming from Chicago and all of our suburbs surrounding the city and stuff, yeah, it's the same thing. You know, and especially Chicago proper, the city, yeah, there's plenty of stores in there. They're neighborhood stores, and they, they cater to mm -hmm. that, that immediate area and stuff. And, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that firsthand. Um, is, uh, is there a plan to promote this? I mean, obviously, yeah, you you know, through the grace the grace of image and stuff, I'm sure that you know really helped in terms of the budget of the book and being able to make it. Um, but yeah, is there is there a marketing plan? I'm sure you guys did uh, store signings in your area. The book came out as we're recording this last week, and uh, in, yeah. in the stores, in the local stores, and it hits Amazon as we're recording this this Tuesday or Wednesday, right? Yes. Yes. And same with Barnes and Noble. Okay, so yeah, um, the online the online ways to buy it and stuff start this week. But, yeah. So yeah, any any convention plans as far as uh, promoting this? 
Um, not for myself personally, but oh, a lot of the. Con- have a Las Vegas oh, right. That's right. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm mistaken. I forgot that we're attending an amazing con here in Las Vegas at the end of the month. Cool. And there's going to be a whole, whole uh, group signing and group panel with various creators from the project. Fantastic. Most of the, yeah. yeah, most of the locals. But as far as other things, there's been signings all over the country. Sure. I think there's we're up to maybe six or seven at this point that are happening or planned to happen very soon. Excellent. Um, we've been talking to local media. We've talked to outside media a bit. And it's sort of one of those things. It's like you keep trying to ping those, um, those avenues and just hope that someone will respond. And it seems, it, it seems to be happening slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is definitely, we're getting out, um, uh, we did an interview with uh, NPR. It's uh, here. It's no, no, Nevada Public uh, uh, Radio sure. here, and that hit a lot of people. That's great. Um, and yeah, that we actually got quite a bit of uh, attention from that. And you know, with the charity that we have partnered with, Route Ninety One Strong, um, they do events all over the country as well, and they're you know promoting it whenever they're doing events. And uh, so that helps too. So yeah, yeah we're just going to keep working on it and and uh, you know try to get attention where we can so to keep it forefront. Um, the local university UNLV is doing something in the fall uh, that we're mm-hmm. we're going to uh, speak about, and um, yeah. you know it's, it's it's just you know just trying to keep it forefront and yeah, you the, know. I think the toughest thing that's been tr- that we've been trying to accomplish. You know, we've gotten national attention through sources like, you know, this podcast and some others and some, um, you know, uh, online magazines that talk about comics. Uh, and uh, But as far as other national attention, that's been the tougher thing to try to reach the outside of the industry media. Sure. sure. Um, it's been easier to do that with local media um, to reach that outside of our industry, but in terms of the national, that's been more difficult to accomplish. Um, you mean, I mean, so. the comic fans are aware, yeah, you oh, know, totally. because we yeah hit that hit that market, and you know, they always pay attention. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, like, kind of through them, uh, and maybe over time, as the word bubbles out, that maybe we'll get more attention and on that regard. Yeah, and we uh, we did this uh, local. Um, gun awareness day event the morning, the Saturday morning. Cause we had a, a big signing event at alternate reality comics set for Saturday, but we also attended this uh, wear orange event that was downtown here and spoke a bit about the book and, and the goals that everyone there shares. Uh, but we ended up speaking to uh, uh, a, a person that's running for Congress that took great interest in, in the idea. And uh, I sent her a bunch of information, you know, hopefully someone like that, who's completely outside of this industry uh, will see the benefit of something like this and, and try to speak about it. So yeah, there were quite a few candidates at that event. So um, we got a lot of cards. So (laughs) that's good. That's excellent. Hopefully hopefully they need it. (laughs) Yeah. At the convention, will you be auctioning off like any of the art or anything like that? No one's thought uh, talked about doing anything like that um, as yet. 
I think there was a brief mention of it at one point, but it's one of those things like everyone's been just so focused on bringing atten- attention to the book itself. Sure. And, uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, we'll see. Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's something to do in a, in a month or two. Start talking about that. And again, you know, bring awareness back to the book. Mm-hmm. Was it? Um... Yeah, because that's going to be. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. I was just going to say. I think that's the tougher goal is now that the book is out, is keeping is is continuing to get media attention after the fact. You know, so doing shows like yours um, after it's been published, I think it's important that we can do as much as as we can over, you know, whenever we can, because I think. For something like this to be effective, it needs to have longer term res- you know, resonance than just the week it came out. Agreed. Um, well, and also, you know, I, yeah. I kind of think sometimes that um, it is better to release an episode so that when someone hears this, they're like, oh, I want to help. I want to buy now. What, what can I do now? Yeah. So it's good to, you know, yeah. and that's why I was, you know, I, I spoke to Michael too, and I'm like, geez, I, I did want to do something before, but if it's okay, I do think there's value. Like you said, and Michael said, of course, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, you know, let, let you and Will know that I still wanted to talk to you guys. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's, no, yeah, that's perfect. I, oh yeah. I was just going to add to that, that, you know, I know that's what image is hoping for too. Um, they want to be able to continue to sell the book and raise funds as well. So. Right. And I know that they're working on getting things, getting the book into the libraries and Excellent. stuff like that. And so, um, which, you know, amazes me. I didn't even, you know, when we were starting this, I wasn't even thinking about that. But, um, you know, that, that maybe um, the – sorry, we're getting a call. No problem. But, uh, you know, uh, that the book can, um, you know, ha- continue relaying its message, you know, through through the libraries and particularly you know the the school libraries and stuff, um, you know, so the yeah we you know <laughs> like when the Parkland thing happened and the the students there uh, were so galvanized and passionate and I was so proud of that. Um, you know, we were you know the best the best thing that could happen to our book is that it would become irrelevant because of what their, their actions and, and, um, you know, uh, but I think hopefully that, you know, that what is being said in this book will resonate for a long time. Hopefully it does become irrelevant. Uh, it's kind of a weird wish to have, I know what you mean, but, um, uh, at the very least, you know, if it does become irrelevant, that it will be a reminder not to go backwards. Yeah. Yes. Um, absolutely. But, you know, I think we have done such a quality. The quality of the book is such that it has shelf life. You can hold on to this book and come back to it. And you know, hopefully, again, like I said, yeah. it's at least a reminder not to go yeah. back to <laughs> see if anything has changed. Yeah. yeah. See if anything's changed. Sure. But, um, yeah, I, I, we heard from a couple teachers um, that have got familiar with the book and felt like this is something that should be in classrooms that students need to see. 
this book be, for a couple reasons. For one, to edu- you know educate them about the life experiences of what this sort of event can cause, but at the same time also show them that as young people, look, you know, you can go out and do things and affect change. You can make something happen that can, you know, have a good impact on your community. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that it's, it's the, you know, social responsibility that as older people, we, we know we grew up with, you know, in our in our generations and everything, and and saw young people, and I agree with you. Parkland is a great example of God. Look, they're doing it again. That's great. I mean, they're they're stepping mm-hmm. up and they're making a difference themselves. And also to convey this message to a student audience in a in a in a creative way that isn't you know vegetables or really dry. Mm-hmm you know, a dry explanation of, Hey, this is bad. And this is why we, well, yeah, we all know that, but to do it in a creative way and, and do it with art and, and, you know, the, the language of fiction or the lang- or the language of comics in, in the cases where it was, you know, real first person accounts. I'm interested in the first person accounts and also uh, the journalists did, um, did you have a traditional comic writers get with the, the, the first person accounts and was that how they kind of, transcribed you know did they do interviews with these people or in some cases is it yeah. just literally taking a first person transcription and giving it to an artist and seeing what they can do with it um what we ended up doing is um we jim and i um interviewed them ourselves wow first, at first it's kind of a preliminary interview and just to kind of gauge who they are who they, they are need. yeah what what their needs are and you know, if they're ready, you know, uh, uh, talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did have a few that wanted to do it, but ended up backing out, um, because it's just a, you know, it's, as you can imagine, it was just too difficult. They just weren't ready. And and that's fine. I'm completely respectful of that. And so, you know, we just wanted to kind of gauge where they were and like, maybe it will come to us like, who would be a good match for this person yeah. as a writer and as an artist? Yeah. And well, we wanted to understand them too. And you want to understand, and understand them. what our intentions are. Right. And we, yeah, we wanted to make sure that they were taken care of and the fact that they understood where we were coming from, that, you know, we weren't, had no intention of exploiting them in any way. Um, we were very respectful of their privacy. Um, they had to have final say all the way through to the end of the project. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, you know, that's the only way to do something mm-hmm. like this. Sure. And, uh, so then, you know, once we kind of got a grasp of like, you know, where they stood and what their story was, then we would, uh, look at who we had on our roster that would, um, you know, be a good match for them. Mm-hmm. And then we'd have a conversation that writer and say this is who this is this is something to be aware of with this person to maybe be sensitive of um and then they did their own interview or or uh or had asked for some sort of written down account so they knew they didn't miss a detail or both i mean i think a lot of them were both but um yeah and so then you know and just let the writer you know interpret their story the best way they could and then once the scripts came back, then we would send that to the witness and um, they would give an approval and then we'd send it to the artist. And if they wanted to be depicted, 
Um, they would send along some photos. Um, and then once the art was done, then that was also, um, you know, sent to the survivor and approved. Make, yeah, make yeah. sure that they were good, good with it and comfortable with it all the way up until the end that they felt like it, it was, it's their story. Right. Know? So, yeah. And there's a couple of them, you know, and we made sure that they understood that there could be artistic license taken, right. you know, in trying to convey what happened because it's only a handful of pages and some details might not be able to have the room to convey mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So we tried to educate them a little bit about what to expect. And I think that helped as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even with that, some of the writers were able to actually capture that person's own very words in some of the, captioning text and things like that um yeah i think that's actually happened more often than not that i was almost quoting them verbatim yeah that's excellent no that's great i i uh this kind of project again allows for interesting experimentation with storytelling and and i think Mm -hmm. that you know uh and jim i mean obviously your your page design is all about experimentation so uh <laughs> you know that's I think that's you you guys are the right caretakers for for this kind of project. Um no, it's incredible. Right. right. Yeah, and I just think that you know with as heavy as the subject is and you know again trying to be respectful of people's trauma and their experience, you had to be creative. You had to outside the box a little bit um yeah. to make sure that people could express themselves uh, to the best of their ability. Um, and like our journalists and stuff, yeah. uh, you know, some of them were familiar with comics, but, um, uh, some were not at all. And, and, uh, you know, to kind of educate them about our business, uh, was kind of interesting and, and, you know, but we didn't want to box them in we wanted them to be able to, again, express themselves the best they knew how and, I think you get the best quality that way. And um, so, you know, they, we kind of just winged it. If someone wanted to do something sequential, that's great. But if they felt better as, as, you know, writing an essay, you know, there was still ways for uh, us to contribute, you know, by adding art to that. So I really think, yeah. And it's also, yeah, no, go ahead, Jim. (laughs) I'm sorry. I keep stepping on you. (laughs) Oh no! Don't worry. I mean, it's hard response conversation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things because you had mentioned about you know the the power that comics have in terms of um, being able to reach people. You know, particularly when it's a heavy subject, and you were talking about how it's it's not like trying to feed somebody vegetables. Yeah. You know, because um, it's telling a story, and I, I've said this in in other places but i I just always find myself going back to this um uh we saw this guy interviewed uh, i think it was like on uh yes or some pbs or vice news or something and he had done this research about societal change and how things move in uh, in different directions in communities and he found that in his research that statistics don't really impact um, people in a way that motivates them to to change or to look at an issue in a different way that might over time affect how they interact with others. And it's actually stories that do it. Um, and that's one thing I think that 
because comics are so effective at telling stories that we're, you know, it contributes to that, what he's saying, that mode of thinking and our hopes that the, you know, a book like this is proof of that pudding Mm -hmm. uh, over time that it can, it can affect people. Um, I think he's right. I mean, the research has got to be, there's got to be truth in that, that people receive information differently when they're absorbing it through, through stories rather than just uh, a set of numbers or facts being well, well, and that was, you know, one of our goals is because, you know, a lot of statistics get spit out um, about these things and people get caught up in that. And that's not unimportant, of course, uh, but it was dehumanizing and over time it's very dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you live in a community and you see all this pain around you, that's the last thing that you want conveyed. Yeah, that pain um, is in a number. Yeah, pain is in a number. These are human lives that are affected that, you know, you're going to come in contact with people that you don't even know, uh, had this happen in their life. You know, you're might, you might come here on vacation and the server might've lost someone or, you know, it's a caretaker for someone who can't ever walk again or something because of this incident. And, you know, never mind the just emotional trauma, uh, this whole city is, you know, have had, has had a great, emotional trauma. I and, think the whole country is well, hasn't yeah, really of accepted it yet. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we, we do no service by dehumanizing this experience and that's what we wanted, you know, the, the books to feel like that you're, you're humanizing this experience. And I think, you know, again, I give credit to all the creators for this, that, you know, everything is so personal. They understood. They got it. They, they so got it. And I'm so proud of that. and so proud of them. And even in the material that wasn't, you know, directly working with um, any of the victims, um, you know, everybody that brought their own vision to this book, um, their own personal views and perspectives that came out in different ways, either through biographical content or allegorical content, uh, everyone really understood what the what needed to happen here and what needed to be said uh, through whatever their own personal views are, regardless of Wendy and I's views on the subject. You know, that was one thing we wanted to make sure we didn't, you know, have any edicts and direct the result of the content. Um, and yeah, regardless of our, what we thought about it. Right. Well, I mean, everybody has the right to their point of view. So. Yeah. Sure. And the result of that by being hands off in that way, uh, I think it really makes the material, um, strong. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a, you can feel it when you read the work, there's this personal thing for everyone involved. They did it because they care. It, it shows. So you, you mentioned your mission statement. Can you tell me a little bit more in terms of what you were looking for? And also maybe, uh, based on what you just said too, um, when it comes from these individuals and they all have their own point of view, uh, things that surprised you and that were outside of the mission statement, but said, Oh God, yeah, let's, you know, that's an important thing to have in there as well. And you have any thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I mean, we, like I said, I was concerned because, you know, if you're basing anything on what you see on TV, <laughs> <laughs> it becomes a shouting match pretty quick. Yeah, and totally. and you know, of course, there's again we were we were angry we were angry ourselves, and oh, 
as, in the beginning, we got a lot of anger. You know, Pieces. it's like, I, oh, I don't know what I could do. I, I, I'm just angry. Yeah. You know, and which is not, you know, it's that's completely valid. That's not that's not an, a natural feeling to have. Um, but we needed we wanted to be more constructive and we didn't want the book to just feel like an attack. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, again, we, we had like a, a small list of subjects, you know. Yeah, we wanted mental health covered and okay. domestic violence, domestic violence mm-hmm. and, you know, the history of the Second Amendment. OK. Um, you know, uh, there's, you know, there's people that seem to only uh, get their information about the Second Amendment mm-hmm. through the NRA. And, you know, I, oh, I, I, I just, you know, I just kind of feel like there's a lot wrapped up in that. And, it's, you know, I don't, there's, it's not that they're misleading exactly. It's just the, you know, they, they kind of conflate it maybe in a way that, um, yeah. you know, it's not exactly what's written in there. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's, that's, a, that's my opinion. I'm, just, I'm not gonna, <laughs> so, and, 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 um, uh, you know, so yeah, you know, like, you know, the point of view of journalists and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. particularly local, you know, the, uh, what's it like for the journalist to have to cover this stuff and live in the community that, that, yeah. that it happened. And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, they feel like we felt that there's this, if you're going to bother to do this, you have such a responsibility and, you know, you have to tread carefully because this is, you know, these are people's lives and people's, you know, pain and, you know, uh, to live in the community and then do justice to what they went through is, is a fine line to walk. Yeah, we were we're really happy that we got a couple of things in there that um, came at it from that angle. I'd say the thing that surprised me on a couple of them that we didn't consider uh, was how gun violence impacts uh, minority community. Um, and, you know, with, uh, you know, like, uh, Joe Illich's story is a good example of that. Um, and then also how a couple of people that came to us kind of were like, I, I just don't, they, they had so many feelings and emotions about it that they didn't know what they could say. And, they, and it actually made them think like, I don't know if I can create a story because they're confused about their own emotions about it. And so we kind of went back to them and like, well, that make that your story. And, the result is really interesting on a couple of those. Yeah. I and mean, you know, I, I mean, we were so concentrated on the mass shooting um, not, and we weren't naive to, you know, unfortunately that happens every day. Um, I mean, we were, uh, we're very aware of the people that are affected on a daily basis, but, you know, we were so, we weren't sure how that was going to fit in, like, you know, the minority community or, um, you know, of, we have a story, a wonderful story from Gail Simone about domestic violence and, and, uh, you know, we weren't sure how that was going to fit in. We knew that that was part of the puzzle. 
Um, but I think it just blended in beautifully. I just, yeah. I, it ended up being much more natural of a process than, yeah. uh, I, one of the other the surprises, or I, w- I would say surprise, but something I we hadn't considered was how many of the creators um, would have had some sort of relationship with guns in their in their lives or in their own past. Yeah, that came out in a lot of these stories. Interesting. That, yeah. How personal that that became. That was, I felt, was a really great thing to have happened because they were able to speak the to uh, their own truths about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I just think that gives it so much more weight. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I also think, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe these are not rose-colored glasses, but I guess maybe just thinking about recent history and not, not digging further back, but it seems like since 9-11, this generation of comic book creators are able to use the medium to address these kind of issues in a way that maybe previous decades couldn't. I know that DC did a uh, gun violence comic with Denny O'Neill, and right now I'm forgetting if it was Graham Houston or another artist in the 90s. I want to say Batman's Seduction of the Gun, but I read that, and it was really a traditional comic book story. It was excellent, and and really, again, I don't mean this in a condescending way, but I really do think that because of the evolution of comic art and, and page design, that this stuff... I love taking, I always say this, it it comes up all the time, where I love taking non-comic book readers into a comic book store today. And honestly, Jim, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying this just because you're on right now. Show them one of your books or, or, you know, uh, you know, somebody like Darwin Cook or, or, uh, you know, with completely different style. But just so many interesting art styles, so many interesting art designs. Uh, Dave McKean, you know, uh, these these kind of non-traditional comic book uh, styles. And they go, oh my god! Yeah. You know, they're expecting high and Lois or peanuts. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> right? There's nothing wrong with that at all. Right. We all grew up on it, and it's still great. But yeah, and they're like, oh my god, this is comics, and that's why, especially for you know subjects like this, it, it, I really think this generation can tell incredible stories and and really convey storytelling in a very different way. But it's still comics. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think the in terms of the history of comics and in, in, in social social political aspects, uh, I think that stuff has all, always been there. But I think I don't know. I think maybe there's more of a, con- a conscientiousness to it, maybe uh, in terms of how mainstream comics deals with these subjects. But you know, the alternative market. It's yeah. been de- dealing with this stuff for a long time. I mean, you could go all the way back to uh, to uh, Mouse is a great certainly, example. Of that. Certainly, uh, but then you know, and uh, it, it, I'd love to see someone do a book that kind of really explores comics history from this per- particular perspective on just how it tackles the world issues. Um, we were talking about this in the comic store the other day about. How you know when you break it down, really go backwards in time. I mean, uh, you know, there, you see a little bit of pushback from some of the the reading audience about like, why are my comics so political these days? Um, not under realizing or thinking about the history of that and the fact that you know you go back to Captain America sure. and he's punching Hitler or a Nazi on the cover of Captain America before we were even involved in World War II. <laughs> That's true. You know? Well, Willie and, so, Willie and Joe as well, the, the comic strips 
of the two GIs mm-hmm. during yeah. World War II. I mean, no, you're right about that. Yeah. And shame on, you know, you're, you're right. It always has been part of comics. And, God, Art Spiegelman, uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. was touring. Do you know what I'm talking about? That, they were doing this tour. He was doing a tour with this jazz band, and he was showing these incredible graphic novels. There's no other description for them that date back to the 1890s and were, were dealing uh-huh. with social commentary and stuff all the way through the 50s. Oh, wow. And it's, yeah, it was such a great, I mean, I was trying so hard, uh, going back and forth with emails with them going, Joe, you got to, right, you got to talk about this, man, because it really, it came to the University of Chicago and it was just this classy presentation. And on a big screen, he was showing um, pages from these incredible books. And a lot of them were silent graphic novels, but they were, they were gorgeous and they, and, and just telling this amazing story. And then this beautiful, like jazz arrangement behind him and stuff. And I'm like, man, this is comics. This is fantastic. So you know, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, but there, I think there is some some uh, truth in what you're saying about you know the, the current generation of comics creators. I think in a lot of ways might be more tuned in to some of these social political issues um, in a way that I guess maybe they they feel more comfortable addressing those things than maybe comics, you know, yeah. were back in in the early 2000s or 90s, you know. Well, I mean, you know. It's, not, it's more overt. It's not as subtext. Well, and I, and I attribute that a lot to the indie market yep. because, you know, the mainstream market had to be careful of right. what was said because, you know, yeah. Don't want to offend people yeah. and you're dealing with a more general right. audience. And, and, yeah, no, I get And, and yeah, yeah, Marvel and DC's... Yeah you know, uh, budgetary concerns are a lot different than what image represents in being this kind of boutique where everyone can get together. And also, uh, not only are the, um, the the creators more socially conscious and willing to put it out there, but they know their audience kind of agrees with them. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah, I, I think it. I, I yeah. do think it's symbiotic where, yeah, the readers as well are more welcoming. You, you, get, you know, social media, man, one, one crank. And then you think, oh, God, there's mm-hmm. like 100 people behind that person. Um, right. you know, so yeah, believe me, we're all dealing with it, of course, you know, so. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, the, the, the readership, you know, I mean, anyone that goes to a Comic-Con is, knows that it's, you know, I think there's, from the general public, there's this view that comics are just read by 11 year olds, <laughs> but you go to a Comic-Con, and it's all completely, and that's all super yep. And when you go to a Comic-Con, that's completely opposite. Again, I think the indie market has done such a service to, for comics in that, you know, maybe, you know, there are ways that you can deal with this in superhero comics, but I think that the fact that the indie comic dealt with things outside of superheroes, so I think it widened the way that you could tell a story. Like if it's a story about gun violence, that's hard to do in a superhero environment because yeah. they're supposed to be impervious. Right. And, you know, uh, with indie comics, you get that humanness and that groundedness. And, you know, that, again, I think has really widened what comics can do and what comics can say, can say and address. Um, well, it really helped when you saw, you know, in the past, mainstream comic creators such as Will Eisner, who, you know, was, you know, super famous for the spirit, of course. Yes. Um, which is considered, a, I would consider it a mainstream pulpy comic, you know? Sure. Uh, 
comic strip. And afterwards, he went on and did these incredibly personal, yeah. you know, yeah. slice of life graphic novels. You know, you, here you had someone make that that dynamic shift in the types of stories that they wanted to tell. I think that has fed into all of this too. And um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And then, but, but then, you know, you end up having guys who like Joe Sacco. Who, yes. I'm glad you mentioned him. Go on. Yeah. Incredible journalistic comics where he went to these other countries and uh, interviewed and talked to these people and studied their communities and, and did comics about them. And, you know, Oh well, Persepolis too. Yeah, Persepolis. Uh, uh, not sure how you pronounce her name. Uh, you know what book we're absolutely talking about, right? no Persepolis. Persepolis. No, Persepolis is one of those great indie comics, as you say. Yeah, you're right about that. And you know, it's funny. Again, uh, when I spoke to Will, uh, we ended the conversation talking about Joe Kubert and how many of his final projects were very yeah. Sacco and Eisner esque in terms of. Yeah. You know, very serious subjects, real subjects, his own personal accounts. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I, I, it, it, I, it just occurred to me looking over his bibliography, Will's. I'm like, oh my god, you edited a lot of, you know, Joe's final works and stuff. And I, what was that like? <laughs> so we got into this really interesting conversation about Kubrick. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fascinating how there uh, this stuff is bubbling up, and but what I think it's it's. I, I think this is a little bit what you were speaking about is how a lot of the, the current comics creators that are even working in the mainstream industry are able to kind of get these things in, into the books. Um, I guess maybe on a more regular basis somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, well, again, I, I think that's the audience, yeah. you know, they don't want something superficial. They want something that, you know, yeah. they, they can relate to. Sure. Yeah. There's some that are complaining about it, but, sure. but, but you know, a lot of them not realizing, no, the, you know, the Superman comic you read back in the eighties that you fell in love with probably had political stuff in there. Go back and reread right. it. Right. <laughs> right. No, uh, another example of that is like Steve Englehart in the seventies with Captain America. I mean, God, that secret empire thing was all about Watergate. And, uh, you know, I yeah. think you're right. I think, I think a lot of, uh, you know, in the in the best way, subversively, <laughs> there was a lot of subtext to a lot of that uh, storytelling back then. Well, and even the war comics, I think of of the sixties and seventies and eighties. Uh, well, even back to the fifties and everything. I, I don't think they were gung. They weren't all gung ho stories. They were about the personal tragedies yeah. of war. So, uh, no, you're yeah. right about that. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I know I find myself going back and. Uh, picking up like you know new collections or archival collections of old stuff that I just adored as a kid, and I remember uh, rereading uh, all the Killraven War of the Worlds yes. stories in a, the, the black and white essentials collection. Yes, I have that. And <laughs> yeah, and I, I was rereading it, and there was all the stuff in there that as a kid I just didn't even realize was in it that was so uh, politically charged. Um, and talking about America's history, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. And, you know, going back and rereading old Steve Gerber comics, you know, yeah. how much of that stuff is in there. Talked about social issues to a great deal, you know? Absolutely. No, you're right about that. Yeah, Steve's a great example of that. Man, this uh, this collection is fantastic. I, uh, I'm really glad you guys were able to achieve it and, and, and to do it again. 
eight month turnaround is pretty amazing. So uh, you know, congratulations, and uh, I uh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Is there is there anything else we, you want to cover while we're talking? I don't want to brush it off if uh, if there's more if there's more to say. Um. um. Maybe just you know, uh, if you want more information about the where the money's going, it's going to Route ninety one strong and it's route ninety one strong dot org. Yeah. Um and uh it's a really great organization um that is uh run by survivors of that night. Uh and uh so they wanted to help other people uh that uh, we're really struggling, and they are helping a lot of the people that fell through the cracks of the GoFundMe. Um, and they're, you know, so conscientious and so caring, and um, they keep in contact with everybody and, you know, make sure that they're taken care of. Uh, so uh, just a really great organization, and I think it's, you know, healing for the survivors that are running it as well. So, um yeah, yeah so we're really proud to be associated with them. Yeah, so the, the reason why we, one of the reasons why we know that these people really want to do something great to help others is because after, you know, the way they feel about themselves after the incident took place, the way they speak about it is how they, you know, they talk about how they themselves are forever changed and, and, want to be able to help others that are experiencing that same sense of uh, change and trauma in their lives. And they felt like there might be something that they could do with the resources that they have. Um, and that's how I think they got started. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. No, that's great. Um, well, where yeah. we live is the name so, of, go ahead. No, please. No, I was just going to say, you. yeah, if there's anything you more you want to talk about, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, guys. I'll, I, Jim, I'll, I'll, I'll take you up on that on a future talk. I think uh, I want to leave this uh, really about the book. And uh, right. if, yeah, if we could do a separate conversation, yeah, man, good Lord. There's a million things I want to talk to you about, a million issues. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, be fantastic. <laughs> so that's great. But no, truly, I, I appreciate the conversation and, and your guys' efforts in putting this anthology together, all of you, Michael as well and Will, um, where we live is the anthology it's from image comics again uh available uh when you're hearing this podcast it will be available as far as the online uh, bookstore outlets but it's also all, all available at your local comic stores as well uh if they don't have a, a copy i'm sure they'll order one for you but uh you know yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah if, if for your local <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you go into your local comic book store if they don't have a copy please ask them to get you one um, Might have to wait two weeks. Yeah, I. I are supporting local. Yeah, you know, I think it's good for people walking in to ask for it if they don't see it, because otherwise the store doesn't know they need to be stocking it. Sure. Um, yep. No, agreed. And 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 yeah, the uh, the you know the online stores for for those of you that you know are uh, don't have the uh, accessibility as apparently is the case in the Las Vegas community or the Chicago community where there are so many local stores. Uh, but yeah, uh, su yeah, you know, support the book. I think again, an amazing collection of stories, uh, very artistic, uh, thought provoking, and uh, good reading, and uh, all because of the efforts of uh, um, Wendy Wright uh, Williams and J. H. Williams and uh, company, Michael Perlman and and Will Dennis as well, and Eric Stevenson and the Image People. So and the creators themselves. But uh, thank you for the conversation, guys. I really appreciate it. I uh, 
continued success. And uh, yeah, Jim, let's uh, in a in a in, I'll give you a break and <laughs> we'll wait a month or two before I bug you. But yeah, maybe later in the summer or in the fall we can uh, we can have a, a sit down and talk about uh, the rest of your comics career. That'd be okay. perfect. Thanks Thank so, much, so much, John. Jim Williams, Wendy Wright Williams on today's Word Balloon talking about where we live. Support this book. Go to your local comic store, as we said. If it's not there, ask them to order it. Um, if you don't have a comic book store near you, go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble and Comixology and pick up this incredible book, Where We Live. I hope you enjoyed today's Word Balloon. It was brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners, my sponsors via Patreon. Thank you, League, for your continued support. Don't forget, if you have any questions or comments about the show, to reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at John Word Balloon, and Facebook is under John Suntress and, of course, the Word Balloon Network. So thanks again for listening. June is a great month for Word Balloon. I've already got a bunch of uh, talks in the can that I can't wait to share with you in the days ahead. So keep listening and checking back to wordballoon.com for more great podcasts. And also subscribe to Word Balloon via iTunes, Stitcher, all the great podcast platforms that Word Balloon is on. Uh, do yourself a favor. Don't miss an episode because really exciting stuff is coming. I'll tell you right now, next Word Balloon episode, Teeny Howard, the fantastic writer of Assassinistas for IDW's Black Crown line, working with Gilbert Hernandez, also uh, doing great work on Tim Seeley's creation, Hack Slash, and as well as her great run on Rick and Morty comics for Oni. Uh, Teeny is a real threat in the comics writing world, and I am very entertained by her stories and was really excited to talk to her. Also, Kelly Carlin, the daughter of George Carlin, talking about, uh, it's been 10 years since we lost George Carlin. Uh, they've created a new DVD box set featuring all of his HBO specials and a lot of really interesting, I call it the pre-hippie Carlin era of the 1960s, clean-cut George Carlin, much more buttoned-down stand-up George Carlin, and really neat stuff on this box set. And uh, it's a pleasure to talk to Kelly, a podcaster in her own right, uh, about her father and the legacy of this incredible comedy legend, George Carlin. Teeny Howard and Kelly Carlin coming later this week on Word Balloon. Can't wait to share it with you. Other great comic book creators and other interesting guests coming in the month of June. I hope you'll join me. Until the next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2018.